Our scripture today is from James 5, 19-20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see y'all here this morning. I'm glad that you could join us, uh, whether you're joining us here uh, live or if you're joining us down in the venue. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good to, good to have you here at the church this morning. Uh, or if you're joining us online, uh, either right now or, uh, or later watching it, uh, we're just grateful for so many different ways for us to be able to gather as the church, uh, especially in a time where that can be a little tricky and a little difficult to figure out. Uh, so we're thankful for whatever way uh, you feel comfortable and safe and secure in doing that uh, during, during this time and, and grateful to have you all here. Um, after, just a, as a reminder this morning, after, after we, after the sermon, we're going to have communion. And if you're here with us this morning, that means we've got little cups and the way those little cups work is you actually tear off the top and there's a little cracker right on the top, unless you, uh, unless you got the, the non-allergen one, which in case that cracker is in the little sack next to it. If you tear off that cup, the cracker's there and then the juice is underneath. Um, if you happen to forget to grab that cup, feel free to walk out at any point during the sermon or, or something and grab that for you so you can join it with us at the end. Uh, if you're joining us online this morning, uh, you're for, fully welcome to use whatever uh, is at your disposal at your house. You can use any, anything for the elements, anything for the bread or the drink, whatever uh, you can gather. We just want you to be able to, to join us uh, in that as, as we uh, approach that time after, after the sermon. Um, but yeah, we're just so glad to, to have everyone here this morning. This is jumping around in my face. I'm sorry. So glad to have everyone here this morning and, uh, and enjoy this, this time gathering together. And uh, this morning, we're going to be wrapping up our study of the book of James, uh, taking a look at chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, which Sophie just did a great job uh, reading for us. And uh, I just realized I was supposed to pause. Are we good? Are we fine? Okay. This is my first time preaching in this new this newness, and so I'm, I'm bumbling and stumbling my way through the things. But yeah, we're going through chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 this morning. And uh, over the last few months, we've seen that this New Testament letter has a lot to say uh, to Christians about how to, how, to live out their, how to live out their Christian faith, how to live this life of faith and works, and how to move through the challenges and the trials and even persevere through suffering that's going to be a part of, of the Christian life, that's going to be a part of uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And last week, Pastor Steve reminded us that the church, our local community of uh, followers of Jesus, that we're meant to care for one another and and really depend on one another. And in fact, pray with each other and over each other and, and pray for things like physical and spiritual healing and confess sins and seek forgiveness together. Overall, the book of James has, has, been rich, has been full of rich lessons that teach us how to live our lives of faith, teach us how to live out this, this life of faith and following Jesus, this, this Christian life. But as he brings his letter to a somewhat abrupt conclusion, James anticipates and then tries to answer a question that really has been lurking around in the shadows of everything he's been teaching and talking about throughout this letter. And that question is, what, what happens if someone in our faith community refuses and rejects the kind of life, this kind of Christian life that James has prescribed? What do we do if a brother or sister in Christ has a pattern of sinful behavior that that they don't want to confess and perhaps that they don't even realize is wrong? If someone's faith or works breaks down and turns ineffective or even harmful and they walk away from the church or walk away from their faith in Jesus, what should we do then? 
Now, James doesn't provide an exhaustive answer to these questions, but in the last few sentences of his letter, he does give us some wisdom and some encouragement into what to do if a brother or sister in Christ wanders away from the truth. And that's what we'll be considering as we look at chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 together today. So the first thing that we need to do is come face to face with something that's, that's pretty unsettling and perhaps is even frightening, but is nonetheless a reality that James wants us to know. In the first half of verse 19, James warms us, warns us that some of us may wander from the truth. Some of us may wander from the truth. Some of us may want at once or perhaps even multiple times through our life wander away from the truth. And, and the meaning of this word wandering is, is no pun intended. It's, it's actually pretty straightforward. It's walking away and losing track of the path that you ought to be on. It's perhaps being led astray, but more likely it's a result of your own willful decision and your own initiative to pursue something sinful, something disobedient or untrue. When we wander, we deceive ourselves about what God is really saying is true about us and really true about himself because we've decided we want something other than what God desires for us. In 2 Timothy 3.13, wandering is associated with evildoers and imposters who go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And in 2 Peter 2, wandering is linked to false teachers and following them is said to result in the wages of wickedness in verse 15. So yes, wandering really truly is a very big deal. It's disobeying what God asks us to do. It's twisting doctrine and theology into something that fits our own comfort or our own preferred lifestyle. It's rejecting what is written in the inspired word of God because we simply don't like it. Abandoning or rebelling against God's truth is dangerous, and it's a life-altering thing to do. We need to be compassionately vigilant about looking, in looking out for our brothers and sisters in Christ and helping them become aware of how they may have strayed from the path that the Lord wants them to walk on. But we also need to be receptive to the possibility that we ourselves may need to be called back from wandering off from time to time. Back when I was an adventurous and intrepid teenager, I spent a couple weeks in the, canoeing the Boundary Waters up in Coetico Park in Canada. And when you go canoeing up there, every once in a while you have to stop and do something called a portage, where you, you, put your, you, you run your canoes up onto land and then you take everything out and you take all your packs and your canoes and you go over the land to, to the next body of water. So you basically use the island or the strip of land or whatever as a land bridge over to the next place that you want to canoe in. And, and during one of these portages, as I merrily skipped along with my packs on my back and, and on my front and in both hands, uh, and, and I had been very, very clearly instructed to stay on that path, that I, I came to this part where the path made this big loop around a tall grass meadow. And I could see that following the path all the way around the outside of the meadow uh, would add several minutes to this trip that I had to make from one end to the other. Whereas if I'd cut through the meadow, I'd, I'd save those minutes. I'd actually ha I'd be done in no time. I could put all these packs down and be done and, and get back in the canoe and, and con continue on. Now, I knew what the instructions were, and I knew what my fellow crewmates had done, which was clearly use the wisdom and go around the path that they were supposed to do. And I could clearly see that nobody else had tried to go into the meadow. There was no, no grass was knocked down. It was all still perfect, untouched, all standing. And so what, what did I decide to do with these clear instructions and this clear uh, pattern that was before me of what to do? I charged right on through that meadow. And about halfway across, I discovered that the meadow was really more of a bog as I sank down into waist-deep, thick, sludgy, stinky mud. Ignoring what I'd been told was wise and blazing my own trail got me stuck 
left me in danger and totally dependent on someone finding me and helping me back to the path, which eventually did happen thanks to my kind, albeit raucously laughing crewmates. Christians often know the path that we're supposed to be on. We know how to talk the talk and how to walk the walk, but even if we, and, and we even are good at keeping up appearances, but we can still stray from the truth of the gospel and from embracing the kind of life and faith of faith and works that, Jesus, that James describes throughout his letter and that J- Jesus showed us, showed us with his life. We forget what it really means to love God and love others and have that love shape our everyday lives and decisions. We lose sight of discipleship and replace it with a consumer-style Christianity that is a lot more about being comfortable. We sometimes refuse to confess sins, and sometimes we refuse to forgive sinners. We set fires with our tongues because we want to be justified by our own power, or because we like to think of ourselves as the smartest or the sharpest or the most right people in any given room or on any social media platform. We perform in public but we sin in secret and we become too scared and too ashamed to seek out the right path. When we see these sort of things happening in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, or when someone confronts us about their concern for our own wanderings, we've got to commit to the work of getting out of that mud and that muck and getting back onto the right path. We must seek to bring those who wander away from God back to him and back to what he says is truly good and truly right for our lives. As followers of Jesus, we don't write off beloved wayward members of our faith community. We want to be people who care enough to stay engaged and to stay hopeful and to stay prayerful that that lost friend can return home again. Ultimately, all of us should seek to bring those who wander back to the truth. All of us should seek to bring those who wander back to the truth, back to this way of Christ. Looking at verse 19 again, we read, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring that person, and, or if one, so one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Now, there's something really interesting about the way that James introduces this idea of bringing someone back from his or her wanderings. He doesn't actually command that it's something that Christians should do. He assumes that a believing community will go after a a wandering off brother or sister. He assumes that it's going to be our desire to go back and do this work and bring this person back into the church, just as it's God's expectation that, that this would happen as well. And why does James have this expectation? It's because he's a student of scripture and he follows the ways and the life of Jesus. If you think for a moment about how often the Bible shares a story about someone helping somebody else who's, who's physically or emotionally or spiritually hurting, and they're broken and they're wandering, but, but they're not abandoned to that fate. They're sought after and helped in finding their way back to a loving relationship with God and a renewed connection with their believing community. Just a few examples, Jesus had many parables that he told his followers, and, and, and he told them that they needed to devalue and cherish and pursue those who are lost. The father rushing out to meet his prodigal son. The shepherd leaving the 99 just to find that one lost sheep. The woman who turns her house upside down to find that one lost precious coin. And then Jesus practices what he preaches when he seeks out Peter after the resurrection, restores Peter's life and calling, and more importantly, restores Peter to a loving relationship with his Savior. Remember that Peter's the one who, who had abandoned Jesus, literally, to death. 
and had watched him die and had been wayward and listless and wasn't sure what to do. But Jesus comes and he finds Peter and he leads him through that process of, of confession and understanding and repentance and restores him back to that friendship that he once had with Jesus. Later in the book of Acts, Jesus sends a man named Ananias to go find a man who's been blinded. And the man that Ananias was sent to, to help out and heal was feared by many first century Christians at, for his ruthless pursuit of destruction of the entire Jesus movement. But again, God loves people and loves redeeming their lives. So he sent Ananias to pray over this man and something like scales fall from the man's eyes and he rose from his bed and he gets baptized and Paul, the persecutor, becomes Paul the apostle and the preacher and the evangelist and theologian. There are many more examples that we could look at, but the point is this. Christians do not write off those who wander off. We remain committed to them. We pray for them. We speak with them and we do what we can to help them come back to Christ. Do you know somebody who was wandered from the truth? Perhaps you have a friend or a family member whose life demonstrates that they are far from God. If that's the case, this expectation that you lead someone back to the truth may be daunting. And I don't want to belittle that the heavy responsibility or the heartache that comes from seeing someone you love live a life that is far from God. Two things that I want to be sure that you hear this morning. The first being that notice that James frames all of this, this whole expectation in the realm of possibility. If someone wanders off and if someone should lead that wanderer back. And, and, and if that happens, then certain things are, could happen, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But your calling is to be patient and persistent and a good ambassador of a great God. You live the kind of life that James has described in chapters 1 through 5, and you unflinchingly yet lovingly keep the truth in front of your wandering loved one as much as possible. That's the work that we're called to do. That's all you can do until the Lord allows for more to occur. And then second, if the Lord does indeed move in the life of that wayward soul, then verse 20 tells us something amazing happens. But going back to verse 20, it says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, this is a grammatically difficult sentence to unpack, and there are pronouns attached to ambiguous you know, verbs and things all over the place. And scholars that are much smarter than me disagree on just exactly what James is trying to say here. So to save you all a lot of time, I'm going to consolidate a couple dozen pages of, of, uh, of arguments from different commentaries and suggest these three interpretations of, of verse 24, or these three conclusions and, and interpretations for verse 24. All right, the first one is that the person who helps the sinner, verse 19's wanderer, the person who helps the sinner see the error of their ways and repent plays a role in saving that person from death. And at a minimum, that's going to be a physical death, but I think very, it's, it's very possible that a spiritual death is also at play here. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, James lays out this path where, where sin eventually leads, you know, sin, if you continue to follow it down that path, leads to death. And I do want to say that that makes things a little bit complicated because the question rises up, well, well can someone who's a believer go down that path and, and face that kind of a death and be broken away from God? And I personally believe that when, you, when, when Christ saves you, he holds your uh, salvation in his hands and, and, and he's got it and it's secure in him. But the Bible also gives us fair warning that we need to take wandering seriously. And so no matter where you come down on the idea of apostasy and, and whether believers can commit it or not, the, the key here is that the Bible's overwhelming concern is to, is to go after those that seem like they're wandering away and, and care about their lives and, and what's before them. 
So if someone goes after that sinner and, and helps them repent, we see that it also says that a multitude of sins are covered. And my best guess is what that means is that at a minimum, the sins of the one who has wandered are forgiven. Now, last week, Pastor Steve, as he preached over the prior verses, uh, before verses 19 and 20, he mentioned that the believing community's intercession on behalf of someone who has sinned can help lead them to restoration. And I think verse 20 flushes that idea out even further. We're so interconnected and so interdependent on each other that forgiveness, which truly comes from God, flows through those who seek out the lost and the wandering, and it gets administered into those who, who are in need of conviction and confession and forgiveness and redemption. So that this process that you have in which you engage leading someone into forgiveness, it's really a work coming from God, but it flows through those who believe him. Which leads us into the next point. Those who have done this work and help bring the wanderer back are participating in this person's salvation and restoration, but God is still very much in control. Salvation is still his and a work of his and his alone, and the hearts of those who seek and surrender to him are, are all within his control and his realm. We may be part of the rescue team, but we're not saviors. We may act with great love and personal sacrifice to see a wandering brother or sister return back to the truth, but we shouldn't allow ourselves to become idols because of it. We participate in God's amazing saving acts, but we don't perform those acts ourselves. Salvation is God's alone. Now, some of you who are very clever and have gone on and, and downloaded the Church Center app and, and have that on your phone or looking at it and saying, well, yeah, but your third point on this outline says returning to the truth and repenting of wandering is always met or should always be met with an abundance of grace. Returning to the truth and repenting of wandering is always met or should always be met with an abundance of grace. So exactly how did I get there from everything verse 20 is saying? How did that jump off the page to me? I think it's because it's important to note that if we're going to commit to this work of bringing wayward believers and lost folks back to the faith in Christ and back to right relationship with God, then we need to keep in mind that when God does this sort of thing, he goes after people with an abundance of grace, not with an eagerness to come down on them heavy and hard for being wrong. If you set out to help someone come back from a sinful life, and your motivating desire is to prove them wrong, with win an argument, or to make the hurt feel, to make the lost feel the hurt of their lostness in order to turn them around, then you need to stop. Because that's not the way that we see God doing things in the Bible. That's not how he treats us when we sin and wander off. And it's not how we should treat others. If you're going to be on the rescue team, and you're going, then you're going to need to be able to let grace and love lead the way. It does no good to bludgeon somebody back into obedience. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul counsels those seeking to restore their wandering brothers and sisters and says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I want you to keep this image in mind as you try to restore wandering friends or family to the truth. It's from Isaiah chapter 40, and it's a picture of how God seeks out those he loves who have lost their way. Starting in verse 10, it says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. And he tends his flock like a shepherd, and he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You don't need to shame or demolish or destroy the one who has wandered away from the truth. You need to love them. 
You need to gather them up and carry them close to your heart the same way God carries you. A few final thoughts to help you process and think about this passage and and how you might apply it. The first is to be honest about anything that might be your own potential wandering. Before you do anything, spend some time in serious and honest reflection and prayer about whether or not you've wandered off from the truth in any capacity. If, If you need a process of confession and repentance before you go and engage somebody else. The second is to be humble when you seek to help a wanderer return from what is true. If you think God's leading you to be a part of the rescue team then go and to go help and restore someone who is struggling with sin, be sure to be prayerful. Be mindful of your own sins. Check for that plank in your own eye before you go out to, to help another. And remember that Jesus sought after those lamb, the lamb because he loved it, not because he was eager to rebuke it. And finally, be quick to embrace those with the same grace that Jesus is eager to share with you. Whether you're, sa- whether, you're the, whether you're the saved or the saver, remember that all glory really goes to God. All boasting really goes to God. Salvation and the multitude of sins that are covered are his work, not ours. Leave the praise and admiration for that work where it belongs, with him and him alone. Do not turn, yourself, do not turn your rescuer into an idol and do not perceive yourself as a savior, but be quick to embrace those returning with the same grace Jesus is eager to share with them as the same way that he shares it with you. As we move into our time of communion, I, I would invite you to, to reflect and think about where you stand in relation to the, the Lord and the truth that's described here and, and that, that, that setup of, of whether or not you're someone who might be wandering or someone who's being sent to, to find a wanderer. Are you, are you perhaps a wanderer? This might be a great time to confess that to God and to experience his grace and forgiveness. He's waiting to share those gifts with you. Do you feel called to seek out a wanderer and help them come back to their faith in Jesus and his way of right living? Perhaps you could use this time to ask for wisdom and courage and the patience you'll need to engage this process. Or maybe you don't feel like you fit into either of those categories, but you do know what it's like to experience this abundant grace of God. So perhaps you could use this time to celebrate and to praise God and to thank him for his love and his compassion and his mercy. There's no such thing as thanking the Lord too much for the good gifts that he gives. This is your time to cherish between you and the Lord and together with your church community. At our church, anyone who has confessed the Lord uh, Jesus as their Savior is welcome to join us in the celebration of communion. In just a moment, we will all together take the bread, and after some words from Scripture, we will eat together, and then we'll take our cup, and again, after uh, some words from Scripture are lifted up, we will drink together. If you've joined us in person, uh, like I said before, you've got these little cups and you can tear the tops off and the crackers should be on the top and then the juice is below. Uh, or if you picked up the allergen-free uh, option, it's in that zip, the crackers in that Ziploc bag. Um, if you're joining us online, um, again, would absolutely encourage you to grab whatever elements you need um, and any food and any drink is perfectly fine. We're, we're open to using whatever elements are on hand uh, to celebrate with us here this morning. Uh, if there's anyone who's joining us here today that is not yet a believer in Jesus, um, we just want you to know that we're so glad that you've decided to, to join us, that you've trusted us, that you've, had, uh, that you've invited us into this process of seeking truth and learning more about the Lord. During this time, we'd simply encourage you to, to, to reflect on what you've heard. Uh, maybe even try praying, you know, lifting up a word to God. He's able to, to understand the prayers of those who know him and, are those, and those who are getting to know him. 
And if you have any questions about anything, about what you've heard in the service or communion or just questions about God or Christianity in general, uh, we'd love to meet with you, whether you reach out uh, here or send us an email or set up a time to meet. Um, we'd love to get a chance to, to talk with you and, and continue to answer questions and help you along this journey of faith. But as we prepare ourselves for communion, would you, would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, um, I do thank you for this truth that you want us to be people that care enough about those that are lost to go seek them and find them, but that you give us the pattern of grace and give us the pattern of compassion to, to do that. That we don't go off and, and, and try to come down on people hard, but that we embrace them like you embrace that lamb close to your heart and carry, carry them back to the path of righteousness, back to the path you've laid out for us that makes, um, that makes our way to, to the Lord and to a close relationship with him. Father, as, as those gathered here this morning and those joining us online, uh, as they reflect on what this passage can mean for them in their lives, I ask that, that you speak to them clearly, the Holy Spirit, that you press upon their hearts what they need to hear, um, and that they meet that grace that is so overwhelming and so profound and so beautiful uh, as they pursue you in this time of communion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>